Welcome to Wine Soundtrack USA. Listen to the passion with which producers narrate their winery and their world in 30 Answers. Discover their stories, personalities, and passions. Hello, friends and listeners of Wine Soundtrack. This is Allison Levine, and I'm sitting here today in the lovely San Inez Valley with Allison Thompson of L.A. La Piane Wines. Allison, welcome, and tell us about your winery and a little bit about where we are. Well, we are in the heart of San Inez Valley today in Solvang, California, where it's kind of the center of the wine industry in this area, wine tourism. And there's lots of tasting rooms around and uh, fun stuff happening. And my winery, L.A. Lepiani, is a very small little brand. I make about 300 cases on the side. And I was founded in 2013. And I make Grenache, Barbera, and Nebbiolo primarily. And hoping to branch out a little bit in the future. But as things grow and, and as I can sell the wines, it's a... Project of love, and um, but without a lot of time because I have other jobs. So other jobs in the wine industry. Yes, yeah. So I was consulting for um, a few other wineries up until recently, and now I'm I'm down to my own and Two Wolves Wines in San Ynez. And so you're purchasing fruit. Um, Where are you getting your fruit from? And you mentioned the three grapes. What else are you aspiring to make? I I noticed that it's all Italian grapes. Well, Grenache is not. But Nebbiolo and Barbera, um, what is the story behind that? I fell in love with Nebbiolo in particular when I first got into wine. I had a friend that lived in Piedmont, and I was studying in Siena. And before I went to Siena, I visited him, and they took me around Barolo and that area. So I got to... I was introduced to Barbera and and Nebbiolo through them and then wanted to get back to Italy somehow. And I had finished up my schooling. I was doing biology and and Italian at UCSB and then worked for the university for a couple of years doing ecological restoration. But on the side, I was working in a tasting room and really loved learning about wine. And then I was interested in going back to school. So I went back to school at UC Davis for viticulture. And while I was there, there was a student group that organized trips to different places every year to really get an immersive experience with wine. And the year that I did it was Italy. And so we really were able to go to many places in Italy, but our first stops were in Piedmont in Barolo and uh, Angela Gaia hosted us. And <laughs> I don't think you need to see anymore why you right. fell in love with these grapes. Yeah. yeah. And I remember sitting down and he opened some like, you know, 80s Barbarescos and I was just blown away and really just fell in love with the region. And so I, I wanted to get an internship in the area, but it's not, it's not an easy place to get an internship. A producer that was being imported by a friend of a friend um, actually took me on, and I was able to spend 2006 working work, working alongside him in the vineyards and in the winery. So that kind of cemented my my desire to make Nebbiolo. And uh, while I was there in 2006, they'd had a Nebbiolo conference, and they had um, Steve and Crystal Clifton from Palmino Winery in Lompoc there presenting their wines and several producers including Sergio Germano and Rhoda Conterno and others commented that the only place outside of Italy that makes good Nebbiolo is Santa Barbara County and so if I were to come back here I needed to talk to Steve and Crystal so in fact my 
who's my boyfriend at the time, and now he's my husband, um, was getting his master's here at UCSB. And I came back and started looking for a job and contacted Stephen Crystal, and they didn't have anything available at the time. So I did a harvest down at Sinequinon in Ventura. And then um, when that was done, I bugged them more <laughs> and they finally relented and gave me a job. So I worked for about four years for Steve as his assistant and really learned all of the, the vineyards that were growing really high quality Italian varieties. And Steve has been a real pioneer in the area, bringing newer clones over and planting vineyards. And I'd worked with Nebbiolo and Barbera from, I don't know, eight, maybe, maybe not quite eight, six different vineyards, mostly Honey Vineyard, just right up the street from where we're sitting right now. And then um, Walker Vineyard, which is across the street from there. And then Elisa's Vineyard up on uh, Elisa's Canyon Road that had some new Nebbiolo and Barbera plantings and Siskoak Vineyard, which Steve had worked at and convinced Ed Holt to plant some Nebbiolo, about an acre, uh, in the 90s. And so when I decided in 2013 to to launch um, Ele Lipiani, uh, you know, I had worked with these different vineyards and, and knew that I wanted to make wine specifically from Siskoak Vineyard. That was kind of my favorite out of the the different Nebbiolo vineyards that we worked with. And then Walker Vineyard Barbera. So Steve graciously sold me a ton of each. And um, But I also really love Grenache. And, and I didn't necessarily want my brand to be an all-Italian brand. Mm-hmm. I'm interested in Italian varieties, and I think they do beautifully here, but I wanted to make what I liked. So, um, so Grenache as well from Black Oak Vineyard, which is a small vineyard, also in Elisa's Canyon, which... I was able to work with while I was at Samsara Winery. So I really like the fruit. It's a it's a neat area for Grenache. It gets a cooler maritime influence in the morning. You get that fog, but it burns off a little quicker than other places and it and it can fully ripen Grenache, which can be a problem in like the really cool climate areas. So So what would you say your first memory is relevant to wine? Do you recall what that was and how old you were? Oh geez. I mean I remember like you know, my parents, they drink wine with dinner often. And so there's that memory. And then, you know, when I was, I mean, I don't know if I should say this on the radio, but um, when, I, when I was not quite 21, uh, very close to 21, um, or not, um, <laughs> we went to French Laundry for dinner and we had a 50th birthday for my mom and they served us, served us wine with a little wink. So, and, and that was really wonderful to be able to experience dining on that level with, you know, with wine. Yeah. So, and then in, in Italy, my time in Italy was really kind of, that experience really cemented my desire to do something with food or wine. And, and just every night I had a, a host mom when I was a student there that was an incredible cook. She was amazing. One of the hardest working people I've ever met. And she would cook a three-course meal every night from scratch. And, you know, I'd come home and the whole table would be covered in different mushrooms that she'd forage that day. Or, you know, there'd be like some incredible pasta sauce like bubbling on the stove. And and so she taught me a lot about cooking, but she didn't really drink. My host dad would... um, he, he had a, like a big demijohn of wine in the closet that he would go to the local cantina, cantina and get. And at the beginning of the stay, it was pretty good. 
And he, as he drew from it over like three months, it, meh, by the end, not so good. But just that experience of like every day, you just had a little little glass of wine, you know, add, maybe add a little water to it or something. And, and I really love that. What would you say is the first or most memorable wine you ever drank? And do you remember that occasion? I think the experience with Angela Gaia, you know, we walked in and didn't know that he was going to be receiving us, but he, you know, spent so much time talking to us about his passion and his winery and the history of his wines. And then he opened up an 89 Barbaresco. And I just remember being blown away about, you know, the, just the aromas, the texture, like the, the liveliness, the energy of the wine. And that was a really defining experience, I would say. Among all the populations of the world, who do you think drinks the best in terms of quality? I don't know. I think I'm not, I'm biased, but I think we do here in California. I mean, there's so much good wine out there right now. You know, Italy is my only other real experience and they have lots of wine. And I think some of it is incredible, but you know, there is very quality, but I think, I think we're in a really sweet spot here in Santa Barbara County. I don't know if you're collecting wine or just happen to have a nice little storage of wines, but what do you find? What would we find if we came into your home? Barolo, Alana. Yeah, <laughs> Barolo, and then you know local wines. I like I like trying local wines as well. So, do you think there's a such thing as a perfect variety? A perfect variety? No, I mean I think that's the beauty of wine is that every uh, every person has their own taste and their own preference. And so perfection is, you know, in the eye of the beholder. So on that note about perfection, what is your thought about critics and scores? Um, you know, I think at one time it was really influential because there were only a couple people giving these scores and they had a lot of power. I have such a small brand that it, it really, I don't think matters to, to me. You know, I've had my wine scored and they did well, but you know, it's not like it really moved the needle at all. And and like I said, it's just, it's one person's opinion. So I don't really care either way. <laughs> <laughs> so as a consumer, do you prefer red, white, or rosé? I prefer white. Yeah, I drink a lot more white than I do red. I drink red in the winter more, but in the summer, it's white and a lot of beer. So, ha. Huh. Still wine or sparkling wine? Yeah, if, if I could, I'd probably drink a lot of sparkling wine, but uh, it's not something I necessarily buy a lot of. I like more expensive sparkling wines. So like a habit gets a little pricey. Yeah. yeah. So I'm going to assume when you say sparkling, habit, expensive champagne? Champagne, yes. I love champagne. <laughs> but, you know, there's some producers around here making really good method champenois. Mm-hmm. And, you know, all around the world, people are experimenting with it and doing cool things. But, yeah, champagne. So you were telling us about your experience in Italy and living with this family and how the woman cooked all this wonderful food. Obviously, food and wine play a big part in your life. How do you approach food and wine pairing? Do you think there are hard and fast rules to follow? Do you agree that it's always white wine and fish, red wine and meat? Or how do you approach it? I don't know. I mean, I I don't think that there are hard and fast rules. I think that experimentation is the key. You know, it is unfortunate when you get a bad pairing and you think like, this isn't really working, but you can always try something else. I like white wine with a lot of different foods and uh, sparkling wine. I think that can be really refreshing with, especially like Thanksgiving dinner, you know, a good aged champagne is always a nice, a nice touch. But yeah, I mean, I, I just like, I like experimentation and that's kind of my role. 
And do you have any tips of what you're looking for? Are you trying to match acids or, or contrast? I think texturally, is thinking about the wine and the food is important. And just the weight of the wine and the weight of the food, you know, like a braised dish, I'm not going to go with something light. It's going to mm-hmm. be something heavier. And, and so that part of it, but not necessarily. It doesn't have to be from a certain region or a certain variety. It's more about, yeah, the weight and, and the, the texture and palate. Mm-hmm. So on those occasions when you aren't pairing it with food or maybe you just drank too much, but either way, a little hangover happens. Do you have any special remedies for hangovers? God, that is like my worst nightmare right now because I have two children and hangovers and small children do not go together. It is. So I guess the biggest cure is don't get a hangover. Just don't get a hangover. It is the worst with kids. Or if you are going to get a hangover, like be on vacation or have them at grandma and grandpa's house because it's like a whole nother meaning when you've got two kids yelling at you to cook breakfast so no no magical cures oh no unfortunately I wish and the older I get the worse it gets so I just try and drink a lot of water the night before and just you know pace myself so what do you think a non-drinker loses out on by not tasting your wines I guess um energy like I think that you know something that always inspires me with my favorite wines is a sense of energy a sense of liveliness something that is interesting in their palate on the nose especially as well and so like a little surprise a little excitement so let's just imagine space aliens were to land on your property Uh and you were to welcome them what bottle of wine would you want to present to them oh i mean i think that my 2013 cisquac nebbiolo it was an exciting wine because it um it was the first time i released a nebbiolo in 2017 and i'm really excited about the the results yeah Mm -hmm. Now, you've been making wine for a few years here, and what is, how do you look at vintages? I mean, we, we talk about how every vintage tells a story. Do you feel that there's more variation from year to year, or do you see more similarities? I'd say more, more variation from year to year. Uh, we're so fortunate here in Santa Barbara County that we don't have typically bad vintages. We have more difficult vintages. There's some varieties that don't do as well. But unlike Italy, where they have a whole vintage that is, you know, not good at times, they just can't get ripe or it rots or whatever, we rarely see across the board issues like that. So I think it's exciting to be able to experience the differences in the wine due to vintage. But it's we're we're lucky in that it's not necessarily going to be like one bad vintage to a good vintage. Mm -hmm. It's just different. Are there any signs or omens that you look out for to determine how a harvest is going to go? I mean, I think it starts in the winter. It starts right now. There were many years in the past 10 that we've been in drought. And so you can already start like to see bud break when it starts. It's going to be an early year. If it starts in January, if we're not getting much water, much rain, you know, we're going to be also looking at a more stressed vines and again, an earlier vintage. This year has been, we've had quite a winter. We've had a lot of rain. We're already at 100% normal. And we sometimes still get, you know, six, seven inches after after February. So, and it's been quite cool. And so we're looking at a, a later bed break, which is good. A little worried about frost this year. So, you know, if, if all goes well, it could be a, a nice size crop. 
But if we get frost in the this winter, which, you know, people are kind of feeling like it might might be the case because it's been so cool, then then who knows? It's a gamble. But you know, it, it's always a nice sign to have rain. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we see these little signs, and you know, we we anticipate what can happen, but. Mother Nature can always throw a curveball at any point. Yeah. And that was like in 2017 was a vintage where everything was going just right. And then we had a major curveball in September where we had this rain, really, really heavy rain for us. I'm sorry. We had a really, really big heat wave. It was like 110 degrees in Santa Rita Hills. And if you were making Pinot, that was not good because a lot of people still had Pinot on the vine, and then it rained. And so, you know, it it was all going so well until that point. (laughs) And then because of those shock of the weather and the rain, then everything stopped ripening for many weeks. And and some things kind of came around and other things didn't do so well in 17. So you just really don't know until the very end. So do you have any good luck rituals when harvest is about to start? Any traditions that you do? No, I try and like like take a couple hours off and go get a massage or something for myself (laughs) because it might be the last time that I'll have some like downtime before things get busy. But yeah, no, no special, you know, rituals. I just like to have maybe like a half a day of just relaxing. A little me time. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So many producers are known for talking to their wines, whether walking in the vineyards or in the cellar, do you ever talk to your grapes or to the juice, to the barrels? And if so, what do you say to it? <laughs> I don't talk to the barrels, no. Um, but I mean, out in the vineyards, I don't. I can't claim to actually talk to the grapes. But I do like to just meditate on the energy that you get from the vineyard, and you know, the being outside and the vines, and just kind of really pay attention to what I'm seeing and smelling and hearing out there. So when you were a little girl, what did you want to be when you grew up? Oh, I wanted to be a bunch of different things. I think I wanted to be a nurse or a doctor at one point. And then I wanted to own a a grocery store for a long time. There was a moment where I wanted to be a chef. I wanted to be a physical therapist. And then I went to college and thought, "Mm, I don't want to do that. And then an ecologist. And then I came upon wine. So. That's a very diverse list of wishes. Yeah. (laughs) When you're not working, how do you spend your free time? I'm guessing you don't have any with two little kids. (laughs) Well, yeah, that keep me busy. But we love to go to the beach. And so we live right near the beach. And often that's where we're at on like free weekends. Or even I get home from work and when it's sunny out, we live walking distance to the beach. So we just go down for a little beach walk. We've been finding lots of sea glass and the kids love running around. And it's just a nice, nice place to be and do you have any favorite movies dedicated to wine oh well who doesn't love a walk in the clouds you know I mean that was like when you know when I was a teenager that was kind of the first wine movie but of course then when I got into wine I realized how unrealistic that whole thing was but um you know uh, gotta love that one yeah (laughs) Do you have a favorite singer or group that you listen to? Oh, right now I like listening to Valerie June in the cellar. She's pretty uh, soulful, incredible voice. Ooh, we'll have to come back to that. Play a little game at the end. So okay. we're going to use test your music and wine knowledge. So for those rare evenings that you get a romantic evening with your husband, what wine would you order? 
oh, I usually like to order something I don't know. And it could be anything, but it's something that like I'm not familiar with. I like to be surprised. Hmm. So what was the best piece of advice you ever received? In the wine industry? Or, or in anything? Oh, gosh, the best piece of advice I've ever received. In wine. You know, some of the, the most important things that had happened are either people telling me that they believed in me or, or didn't. And sometimes, you know, somebody telling you the opposite of what you want to hear can be the best thing because it, it can motivate you to be better and strive for more. Huh. And if you could give our listeners some advice, what would you tell them? I don't know. Don't listen to me. I don't... <laughs> that would be my advice. No. Uh... <laughs> I think, you know, just believe. I mean, it's, it sounds so corny, but like believe in yourself, you know, believe in what you're doing. Like it could be it could be wacky. It could be weird. But if you're into it, go for it. Don't don't worry about what other people are thinking. To date, what is your proudest achievement in your work? I mean, I think launching Ellie Lepiani is has been a um, a big achievement for me. You know, I'm a, I'm a woman one woman show, and it's not something that I thought I would do starting out in the wine industry. It's not something I set out to do. I didn't think it was possible to start my own brand, and so it's exciting now that it's taking off a little. So, if I'm not mistaken, when you came out with one of your first vintages, you got some very high praise from a very well-regarded palette. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. So I am part of this small little group called NEB, Nebula Enthusiasts and Believers. And um, it's kind of a, it's a, a fun little ad hoc group. And I went up to present my wines with that, to that group. And Daryl Cordy was leading a, a tasting before the California wine producers presented. And and he tasted through all of our, our wines. And he is quite a critic. And um, he has such a long history tasting Italian wines and Barolos. And afterwards, he said, I sat down and I was a little nervous. sitting. I was sitting next to him. And he leaned over and he said, may I buy some of your wine? And which was, you know, a huge compliment. And he wound up carrying it or featuring it in his um, holiday newsletter. And and, yeah, and wrote that was one of the most exciting Nebbiolos or something. That's quite an achievement. Congratulations. Thank you. (laughs) So complete the sentence for me. A table without wine is like? Like my table on a weekday, (laughs) not on weekend because I try and just stick to the weekends with the wine. So. Ah. so a VIP person is photographed by paparazzi in a restaurant. They're looking through the window and they're shooting it. And on the back of that photo is a bottle of your wine sitting on the table. If there could be anyone from any walk of life, who would you want that famous person to be sitting at the table with your bottle? If anybody from any walk of life, who would it be? I mean, if she were still alive, Julia Child. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good one. Yeah. Okay. Julia Child. So do you think we'll still be drinking wine in 200 years time or longer? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) I can't imagine a world without wine. And if you were being sent off to a deserted island, what are three bottles you would take with you? Oh, I would take, I think like that, that 89 Gaia and a bottle of champagne. Hmm. Maybe two bottles of champagne. (laughs) (laughs) 
What is one winemaking area in the world that you still want to explore? Gosh, there's so many, but I haven't, I haven't really explored, explored France. And so I would love to go to Burgundy and that region. So I want to thank you for joining us today. We're almost finished. The last thing is we play a little game. We talk about wine and music, and we know that there's a really strong tie between the two of them. So based on some of the wines that you were talking about today, I want you to tell me what you, what it makes you think of, either a style of music or a particular song, what you might want to listen to if you were drinking the wine. So let's start with that 89 Gaia. Oh, something soulful. Uh, maybe like Aretha Franklin. <laughs> And uh, the cannot decide champagne that you would take to your island. Well, I think uh, maybe Valerie June again. I mean, I love her music and um, it's really joyful. And uh, Grenache uh, from the Santa Barbara area. Hmm. I think um, some kind of like 70s funk. Yeah. And the last one, your first vintage Nebbiolo 2013. Oh, geez. 2013 Nebbiolo. That would go with some good good jazz, some, some John Coltrane. Thank you, Allison, for joining us today. But before we go, can you let our listeners know where they can find you and your wines? Well, my wines can be found on my website, lepianiwines.com, and or locally here in Santa Barbara. There's a few shops that carry it, Les Marchands, and um, am I supposed to name the shop? Yeah. The <laughs> Marchands, um, The Good Life here in Solvang carries it, and uh, Wine Plus Beer, and then down in LA, KNL has it. And do you have a tasting room, or can people visit you, or is it just in the shops or online? Uh, I do tastings by appointment, yeah. So if you contact me, email me, you can uh, set up an appointment, and I love meeting new people and tasting them through the wines. Which is a really special treat for people since you only make 300 cases. Yes, I, you know, you get personal attention because it's me, myself, and I, so. <laughs> it's a solid team. I want to thank you for joining us and have a great afternoon and cheers. Thank you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thanks for listening to a new episode of Wine Soundtrack USA. For details and updates, visit our website, winesoundtrack.com.